0: Labor for the Lord. I'm going to turn our Bibles to First Timothy chapter 2 this evening and we'll uh, pick it up where we left off. Yes, uh, last time we were uh, here on a Sunday evening. And uh, I'm going to cover the next couple of verses and we'll just see how far we go tonight. I appreciate that uh, we're all uniquely made. Appreciate the fact that, you know, as God, gifts us and forms us, we're not all the same. We all fulfill a different part, different role in the in the local church. And and whilst I get the opportunity to open the Word of God, and and we believe in the the importance of preaching, that we understand that as we serve in our different capacities, uh, in the fullness of the Spirit of God, and in sincerity, that that is. Uh, as valid and important in, in ministering as well, right? And, um, and we're going to sort of think through that tonight as we consider the, the parameters of women. And last week we began the, uh, the, the couple of verses that are really critical uh, bits of Scripture that teach on the, the role of, of women and, and their part in the local church. And uh, I hope that as we've uh, considered that, and, and even thought through the first couple of verses in verses nine and ten last week, uh, that we we appreciate the the godliness that our ladies demonstrate, and that we encourage that in our, our ladies and our young ladies. And here we're going to see then uh, some some governance that that Paul gives to Timothy in regard to the church there in Ephesus, in regard to the the uh, the role of women and Verses 11 to 15, notice there, with me, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, all right. Let's pray. We'll get uh, into the, the message tonight. Father, thank you, to God, for your word once again, and thank you, dear Lord, that um, Lord, as we live in times where uh, Lord, just the uh, truth is, is seemingly um, Lord, uh, not absolute, transient. That Father, you declare for us how we ought to be uh, in the house of God, and uh, you declare for us how. To order things in our uh, assembling together, in our in the way we uh, we would uh, be as a, as our gathering as a church, and I thank you, Father. That Lord, you you know what's best. You know, uh, Lord, um, be before any uh, any scholar, any uh, sociologist. That Lord would um, uh, in the our day even undermine Lord uh, the basic truths of Your Word that you know better than them, that you know us as, as people in our capacities, uh, in our different roles, and you know, Lord, how to order and, and make things to be a blessing. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just be submitted to the Word of God tonight and that, Father, Lord, we would, we would understand in, in context, Lord, what, what uh, we're going to be learning about tonight. And so we give you the glory and praise and, and ask that you'd help us to, to learn and to apply These things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And so we're going to see the parameters of of women, and and really the governance given here is for the women in the church. And firstly, to learn silently with subjection, but then also to be subject to the man in the responsibility of teaching God's Word. I'll give you a bit of background as far as this this time that they were ministering in and the time that this uh, letter was written. Really at that point, Ephesus had a strong culture of, of female, female leadership in that sense. Um, even when you dig down to the mythology of how the city was founded, it was, according to their mythology, founded by female warriors, Amazonians to some degree. And uh, although when you look at historical evidence, there's no suggestion that women took civic leadership They were particularly prominent in that culture and in their time, in their pagan religiosity. And really they enjoyed a lot of uh, high status in the priesthood. And so the culture of the day indicated strong connections between uh, between city leadership and the temple worship and priesthood. Uh, Even the main deity of that uh, that, uh, city was the goddess Artemis or Diana. And it was centered on the Artemisium, uh, a large temple that dominated the landscape. Um, but in saying that, at the same, in the same token, uh, women were also seldom mentioned in, in history. The, the general way that, uh, that people learned about the city of Ephesus was through stone inscriptions. And often in those stone inscriptions, no women's names were ever uh, expressly mentioned. Uh, They were seldom mentioned, and and other than being a priestess, a woman, as the great historian Thucydides puts it, was better the less said about them. And so it's in this sort of ambiguous era and place that we find these instructions given by Paul. There was no balance. It was either one extreme of of total uh, female leadership or those uh, women who were Subjected to just being stay uh, to to being kept in their homes in, in absolute uh, have with, with absolutely no rights in society. And, and we live in a time where, where somewhat the pendulum swings both ways. We live in a time where where women are being touted for positions of power, based really on gender, often rather than their actual qualification. And I'm not saying this morning that that uh, that some aren't qualified. Certainly. There are well-qualified women who have earned their right to lead in certain aspects of society. We see this uh, politically. We see this in uh, education, in business. Uh, but the bias toward women today is quite striking. Hence the, the push for women to, to take even into, uh, into uh, Christendom today to take past, uh, pastoral leadership in the church at large. But we also live in a time where certain cultures mistreat women and don't treat them with much worth. And, and you sort of, as you observe the world, and, and you know, we, we sort of swing one way in the Western society. But then you look at different places in the world, like uh, where Islam perhaps is, is, is dominating. And you understand that women have basically no rights. And they're very, very much mistreated. And, and so we see that there's these, uh, these, uh, these polar, basically polar opposites in our world today. Uh, we, we live in a time where, uh, where, where these things are, and yet we note here in God's Word, Paul over and over again uh, addressing women by name and identifying them in the assembly of the church. And I, I think as we consider these things, there, there's a great balance um, when it comes to the Word of God. You know, the accusation that, that often those who are outside of the church and those who don't fully understand the Word of God, the accusation that that they will uh, they will throw at Christianity is that somewhat women have no place uh, in the in the culture and fabric uh, of Christianity and the church at large. But they're they're really mistaken. And, and here Paul is going to give instruction to to how women of the church ought to behave in the house of God. That's really the the thrust of um, of the the learning here as we as we consider it. And. Notice verses 11 and 12 with me once again, and we're going to see the, the first role a woman ought to take um, within the context of the local church. And notice verses 11 and 12 again. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, uh, verses 11 and 12 starts with, the, let the women learn. And often when we're looking at parameters or limitations, we forget to see it from the viewpoint of what was allowable. And here we start off, and it's, it's sometimes we sort of breeze over this when we read this uh, this portion of the Word of God. It says, let the women learn. Let the women learn. And the command was that the woman take the position of a learner, or as I'll put it here, as a student. And... and uh, Charles C. Keener, who noted in in, uh, the book Women's Education and Public Speech in Antiquity, said this in regard to this verse, this was a radical and liberating departure from the the, the Jewish view that women were not to learn the law. So in all actuality, in that situation there, uh, even in Jewish tradition and even in the antiquity of that day, the, the, the way it was that day, uh, there was really not room for ladies to even be learned or educated in their time. And yet, here the Apostle Paul was saying, let the women learn. Let them learn. Let them be part of the... And, and really think about the, the, the great purpose of our gathering together is to edify, is to be edified to really learn the Word of God. And so the major function of the church in our gathering uh, apart from our worship and, and praising of God, is that, that the, there's a, a learning function. And, and Paul's saying to them, let them be a part of that. Let the woman learn. And so they're going to take the place of a student. And, and so Paul, under inspiration, is going to give God's mind on a matter that really, when you think about our world today, seems quaint in our modern age. You know, we, we see in different spheres of life that, that women already are um, are, are are free to be educated, they, they get equal opportunities to be able to gain the same kind of uh, educational uh, qualifications that, uh, that men have. But when we, when we consider really the, the Scriptures, how really groundbreaking it was in its time and really in our time as a guide to us, I'm saying is this, ladies in other spheres won't have the same opportunity if the Bible didn't declare it so. And so here he's saying that in in the church, let the woman learn. And and here in this in this uh, these few verses that we've already mentioned, you know, we're often berated as being out of date. Yet we must not be a product of our time, but we got to be. We must be a product of the Holy Spirit. And here we see really another instruction given by our God about how to have authentic church and. And I think more and more this portion of Scripture is being ignored for popular culture and rationale. Yet we must view that uh, that that uh, I- ignorant, uh, we must view uh, the the popular culture and rationale as a departure from truth, not an interpretation of it. Because some will say, "Well, it's that's a different interpretation." No, no, uh, it's a, it's actually uh, there's only one interpretation here. The Bible's pretty clear. And so for, we have a very clear um, clear take on how women ought to be in the church from the mind and will of God Himself. And can I just say He knows best. Can I just remind everyone today that whilst uh, self-proclaimed uh, sociologists who, who uh, say that they they've understand the makeup of man and woman today, that, that they weren't the ones that created male and female. Right? It was God. And so from the outset, we must come to submission to God and understand that He's preserved His Word for us here. And therefore, He knows what He's doing. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I, was, I, was in the, uh, I was in an English class in year 12. Um, in fact, maybe it was year 11. And we got an opportunity uh, to, to study poetry. And, and uh, you know, when you, when you, when you read poetry you can really interpret it several ways, can't you? You know, and there was a particular one that we were studying. She was an Australian author. And uh, she had a lot of religious uh, um, connotations and, and uh, sort of uh, she played a lot of her background. She had a Protestant background. And um, so there were some allusions that I understood that my classmates didn't. But, you know, you could in really read those poems and really just sort of interpret it every which way. But, you know, we got an opportunity one time to go into the city. And this author, uh, the the poet, she was actually there. And so, you know what we did? We went and we asked the poet what she meant. And basically, that was it. That that was the point that she was making in that. She just knew what was best. She understood her writing better than anyone else. And, And here's what I'm saying tonight. God is the one that designed designed male and female. He's the one. This isn't just a a quasi-interpretation of this. This is a clear interpretation of this. We note how they are, though, to learn in the church. How are they to be students in the church? And firstly, he says that they might learn. Notice there in verse, uh, verse 11, Let the woman learn in silence. With all subjection. And so, silence in this sense means this it's to, to hold your peace. And really, it's going to be related, as we notice here later on, uh, to the, the teaching of the Word of God, uh, but in particular, when, uh, when, uh, when male presence was there. Okay, in verse 12, he says later on, But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And here, silence doesn't mean women ought never speak or speak only when spoken to. You know, you you, you hear of these uh, different places where women just can't even talk, can't laugh, uh, can't, can't really show any kind of emotion. That's not what God is saying here. He's saying here just to hold their peace when it came to the time of, of teaching the Word of God. And it... it, it it meant that, though that women, when in a setting of the word of God being taught, were to be silent in their learning. And really, what silence here means is to be tranquil, uh, tranquil and restful. If you think of of the, of the great story of Martha and Mary, when the Lord Jesus entered into their house, you know Martha was cumbered about with much serving, but you know who was the one that was the learner there? Who was the student? It was Mary. And Mary had a tranquility. She, had, she was at peace being taught sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's the idea there that, that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey. And, and silence here also doesn't mean being disengaged. What it is, is it, it's an active focus on the learning at hand. And again, there's consistency between this, and the te- this teaching and the teaching about the home. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And notice verse 34. Notice it. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Verse 35. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And, and, and he's saying here, let, that, let, let the, 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 the extension of that be into the home as they receive it. He's saying you can converse, you ought to converse, and you ought to meditate, and you ought to learn together uh, with your spouse, and particularly here to married women. We understand for those who are single ladies that, uh, that uh, in the... Um, ordinary sense. They would have a, a home with a dad who, who they're under authority over, uh, uh, who are, who's got an authority over them. Uh, and we understand, that, again, that, that in, in this sense, he's speaking here to the married ladies. They're saying, let them learn at home. You know, um, one of the things that I, I enjoy most about my relationship with my wife is just our conversations about Scripture. We just talk a lot about things that she's read. That I've and we listen to preaching and, and, and we'll, we'll talk through, and, and maybe you know, even times where I've said something and she just picks something up and she's we've talked through that in the car, those are just joyful occasions. And I'm saying, men, that that ought to be a, a good practice in your home, it ought to be that you give the, the, that freedom there. But in the, in, in the context of what we're studying in First Timothy chapter 2, he's saying there in, uh, in connection to that in verse 12, I suffer not a woman to teach nor you to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So the, the silence is in regard to teaching when men are present. And, and again, um, this doesn't include women teaching the Word of God to children or other women. Why? There's no subjection or authority issue there. Because really that was what was at hand, and we're going to see that later on. But uh, there was no subjection or authority issue there. And, and we can think of uh, several examples, but I'll give you one in Titus chapter 2. Right? The, let the aged women teach the younger women. And, you know, sometimes we look at that, it's like the context of the home. No, no, no. It's actually in the context of the church. He wrote to a pastor there in Titus. And so, so again, um, you know, you ladies who have for many years um, taught children in your Sunday school. Praise God for you, right? They're my children too. Praise God for them. Uh, praise God for, for times where the ladies get together and one of you ladies prepares something. Praise God for that. You lend, you, you lend to them a, a perspective that of the Scripture that, that only a, 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 another lady could give to a, another lady. Praise God for that. But that silence here in learning, it's speaking about there in connection to usurping authority. And we're going to see later on um, why God did that. And, and the authority was for the man to teach Scripture. But then in connection to that, uh, the second thing there in verse, uh, verse 11 says, learn in silence with all subjection. And again, I believe that women have tremendous insight that God can speak to them as well as, as us through Scripture. And I, I think we as men would be foolish not to engage in scriptural dialogue with, uh, with ladies, especially husband and wife. I, I've known great women who wrote powerful thoughts. We read one this morning, Corrie Ten Boom. But when it came to the assembly in the, in the company of men, they were to be in subjection. And again... The, there's a connection here to the home look at ephesians chapter five look at ephesians chapter five and notice verse uh, verse 21 and he starts off he says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God and there's a there's a there's a dual submission to each other there. But then particularly, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the, of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And, and we notice there that the, the great responsibility of, of headship uh, in the church was, is the Lord's, and then headship in the home is the husband. And uh, there, there's a great responsibility given. And again, in this, we don't, uh, we don't proclaim that women are inferior. That's not the point of subjection, right? Actually, it's a matter of rank. And really, that word subjection is a military term. All right? it's, a, it's a term that means rank it's got to do with order, not necessarily with ability. And and really, rank has to do with order and authority, not personal superiority and inferiority. And and so don't go home, husbands, tonight um, and and just, just think that somehow you're superior. No, no, God's just given you that role. He's given you headship. He's given that to you as a great responsibility. And and may we, men, may we, may we look at that as a great responsibility, not just something to, to be taken for granted. I hope that we don't just go home and we think, oh, I'm the head of the home, I decide we're going to have Maccas tonight, so yeah, you'd better, you know, it's not about that. It's, 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 it doesn't invalidate, you know, your, your wife's thoughts and, and her, her, uh, her thoughts on certain things, and You ought to journey life together. But that's what a good leader does. He he engages those that are in his rank, under his rank. And we see even Jesus at a point in his life was subject. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And notice here verses 49 to 51. And remember here, they went to a, a, a feast and they were there and they, they, uh, Joseph and Mary went and they realized Jesus wasn't in their company. They went back and He was teaching in a temple and this is His response as they, were, um, they had found Him and He said unto them in verse 49, How is it that you sought Me? Wish you not that I must be about My Father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice this, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things, uh, these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But notice there the Lord Jesus, and, and by the way, the Lord Jesus, even in his uh, childhood, was very God and very man. Uh, He wasn't diminished in his godhood there. Uh, He was was still the god of the universe. He was still very much the the one who spoke the world into existence. And yet, in in demonstration of rank and order, he placed himself subject. And, 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 you know, sometimes we view that, ladies, uh, you can view that, ladies, as a, as an affront to your ability, but actually it's not. It's just, it's just God's order of things. It's just God showing, uh, showing order, and, and what I'm just simply going to say is, ladies, being subject is to be Christ-like, and accepting that. Now, the Lord Jesus Himself was subject at, at that point, but then not, not only are you to be students, to go back to First Timothy, uh, chapter 2. Um, not only are you to be students when it comes to your, your, um, your place and your role in the, in the church, you are to learn and you have freedom to learn. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Um, again, uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, crux of the matter is nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. But then notice verse 13 and 14. It says for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. And, and so we see here that secondarily, um, in in your uh, in uh, in your parameters as as ladies in as a as a student, firstly, but then secondly, you are to be supporters, supporters. Here, notice that this is pattern in scripture. He's using. The, the example of, um, of Adam and Eve, uh, it's based upon a pattern that we see in Scripture. Uh, uh, something that from the beginning God had patterned for all of humanity. And the reason women are to be in a position of uh, subjection, again, it's not a negative, it's a strength for a man who has a wife that will be godly that way really is patterned by God right from the beginning at man's creation. And we really can't argue with this. Adam was first formed and given the responsibility to nurture his wife, Eve. That, that was the order of things. And, and Paul, in writing this, wanted the women to express proper deference uh, to the teacher or leader. And, and he gives some, uh, some reasons why we, uh, you ladies, you ought to be supporters. Firstly, there's a created order. In verse 13, again, notice there, Let the, uh, sorry, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Now, how do we check that's true? Let's go to Genesis, can we? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And, and notice here the, the, the beginning God had created man already in chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 2. And notice verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that, in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then notice God's observation and then his action. He says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him, fitting. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And so he, he, he gets to view all of the different uh, creatures and there was not one that was fitting for Adam. And uh, verse 21, And the Lord God caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam marriage. But God created Adam, and then he formed Eve. And so God made Eve for Adam. He did not make Adam for Eve. It's order. This implies really no essential superiority of the male over the female. They were equal, really, in the sense that they complemented each other. There was something about Adam that was not quite complete until God formed Eve. There was something that he was missing. In fact, God looked at him. It's not good that Adam's alone. And so in response to that, to fill that void that God could see, he formed Eve. And so Eve was made for Adam, but he didn't make Adam for Eve. God gave man really that responsibility of rule in his home and really to give due care to his wife. And so God entrusted Adam with leadership responsibility over his wife. And really, Eve was not responsible for Adam like he was for her. He had much responsibility. And men again, can I just say that, that we ought not to take that for granted. That as God has called uh, our, our ladies to be a support to you, a, a help fitting for you, that, that as God has formed that lady, that you take very great regard for the responsibility that you have to lead her. That responsibility God will hold you to. The Bible tells us in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. But then, note with me, go back to First Timothy, and, and actually keep, your, keep a bookmark in, in Genesis. We'll go back there in a bit. But go back to First Timothy and, and notice chapter 2. And, and then notice another thing here. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So we see a created order, but then also we see a catastrophic outcome. And really in that verse, it it speaks about the fall of man. In verse 14, we note there that Eve was the one, she was being deceived and showed an inherent need really to be protected by Adam. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and and we'll see the account of that. told you we'll go back there, but Genesis chapter 3. And we'll see the account of that um, here in Scripture, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he, we see the, the tactic, the strategy of the enemy from the beginning was to question the word of God. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And really, as, as uh, the, the serpent approached Eve, she only had one line of defense. It was Scripture. Two verses long. That was the Bible then. But that was, that was sufficient. But, but really, she was, she was quite careless in the way she approached this because she didn't reply correctly. And, and so, we see and we understand then that the, the woman kept on this dialogue with, with, uh, with the serpent. And uh, notice here, verse 6, And when the woman saw, and finally she ate of that tree that they were forbidden to eat. And when they, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And then notice this, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Um, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sew, uh, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And, and so we see here now, uh, we see the curse and, and all of that happen. And really, what we note there as we, we learned is that Adam was not deceived. So it's actually worse. He wasn't deceived. He just chose to sin. It was Eve that was deceived and transgressed. But Adam also transgressed in that he chose without manipulation, without trickery, without beguiling. He chose to take of the fruit. And therefore, we see the teaching clear in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man the one responsible, the one who had headship, the one that God had called to protect that woman. He was by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And isn't it interesting as we note the the account here in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it interesting that, that we see that Satan reversed God's order? Notice there, he he spoke to the woman who wasn't first formed. Yeah, it was it was it was Adam. Adam was God's designated first. But he approached a woman. He he reversed the order. He approached Eve first, and and, and I think as we consider First Timothy chapter two, and uh, and verse fourteen. You know this. This reference, Paul's reference here, wasn't a sweeping comment of women's susceptibility to be fooled. It's it's not just a general comment about that. It's it's it was a fact of history that Eve was deceived, and therefore, as part of the curse, she was to fall under her husband's protectorate. And if we go back to Genesis chapter three, that was part of the the, uh, the sentence given her. Look at Genesis three. So the Lord addresses. Uh, addresses them, understand, they understand that they had sinned before God. In verse 16, he says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So actually, it was part of the downfall of man that that was re-emphasized by God that as a a result of of Eve's transgression by deception, she was now to be under the rule of her husband, of Adam. And and so it's a fact of history that Eve was deceived, and therefore as part of the curse, she was to fall under her husband's protectorate. And and we note this, we understand this choice resulted in man being plunged into a post-Eden world of sinful consequences. Death, disease, depravity—that's what followed from that. But then, as we think about, uh, as we think about, again, as we think about First Timothy chapter two verse fourteen, there, there's not only a historical context in relation to Adam and Eve, but there's a there's a local context. Um, Paul was really warning that as Eve was deceived, so the women in the church need to take care not to be deceived by the false teachers that had crept into the church. This was a broader warning to the church, the ladies in the church. So what God was teaching here was women are to fall under their husbands for spiritual protection. Uh, uh, an author and, uh, said this, uh, Anna Bowman said this, Paul's point is that this role reversal that caused such devastation at the beginning must not be repeated in the church the woman must not be the one who leads the man in obedience to her. And ladies, a, a lady wrote that, all right, just saying. The fact is, when ladies fall, their men soon follow. And, uh, you know, how, how many ladies have hindered their husbands in the work? I think of a, of a historical illustration. I think of John Wesley, probably a, one of the most powerful revivalist preachers. Yet you know that he married under um, unfavorable circumstances to him. He married later on in life, and uh, his wife Molly was her nickname. She was a difficult woman. She would sit on the front pew, and the story doesn't stop there. She would sit at the front pew and start yelling and railing at her husband who was preaching. It's a historical fact. And it wasn't because he was getting too long, you know. No, she would, she would abuse him and, and detract from what he, he was saying right there and then. And, and you know, the, there might not be an extreme in that. But ladies, if you buy into the deception of the world, the deception of the devil for this world's comforts, and you surrender that, uh, you surrender the, the fellowship of God to following the world, and ladies, if you're married, you hinder. And you better take great care. The warning was to the ladies in the church not to be deceived like Eve was deceived. And so we better take great care as we examine the Word of God that, that you have a healthy relationship of, of, of looking over Scripture and, and, being, and falling under rank. When, when ladies, when you don't fall into rank as God has prescribed it in his wisdom, what we see is the breaking down of the strength of the church. And really, that's the crux of the matter. The church was in danger. And so Paul, in writing this, was just warning the ladies, be a supporter, be a student, learn in tranquility in silence and hold your peace when it comes to the teaching of the Word of God. You teach ladies, you teach children. They're under your jurisdiction. But you ensure that you keep the rank and the order that God has prescribed and patterned and commanded in His Word. But then note the last verse, and if you give me a few minutes, we'll finish here. I don't want to leave verse 15 just for next week, all right? But we're going to see the promise for women. And it's an interesting verse. As you consider the context here, he's speaking about ladies. And so then he goes notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. She goes back to, to um, the, the writer, he he goes back from writing to the individual to writing to the group, they, plural. And, and he's going to give a promise for women here. And I, I find it, it's, it's an interesting, um, interesting verse. And and as you consider it from face value, there, there there's still obviously a, a great apprehension for women in childbirth. There's a real danger, especially in that time of of um, of history. There's a very real danger to their life in childbearing. And, and Paul's instruction here comes with uh, comes really with promise, and God's commands always comes with God's blessings. And you ladies, you might be thinking, well, you know, it, um, really? That, that's it? No, no, ladies, listen. Um, when you trust God, He will enrich your life. You understand, God doesn't, no one does it better than God. <laughs> no one understands you better than God does. He designed you. He made you. And, and he, he, he put those things in you. And, and here... He's going to address a blessing or a promise for women. And, and we note here, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. And this word saved here is a different usage. It means deliverance from danger, uh, deliverance from sickness or death. And, and the danger here certainly can be applied to childbearing, but it could also be found in, in, uh, in the context. And again, the context is not falling or, uh, for deception And then when you fall for deception, not having those ensuing penalties when there's failure, right? Um, Look at Genesis 3.16 again, and notice what what was part of the curse, all right? Look at at Genesis 3.16 again. So as part of the curse, he says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So what's it speaking about? Childbearing. In sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children. And then in the same sentence, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And so in the same package, as part of that, uh, as part of that sentence that God gave her, she would suffer travail and sorrow and pain in childbearing, but also be in, 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 um, uh, in submission to, And her desire would be to her husband, and he will rule over thee. So again, the resultant penalty was travail and sorrow in childbearing. And again, in line with uh, with, with that, Eve was also to remain subject and therefore not given the responsibility to lead and teach over the man. And so here's the implication in this verse. The implication is that if women followed God's prescribed role for them, they will become fruitful in their children, and they can find the joy of leading and teaching the children God has given them. And can we just stop and pause to think about who Paul was writing this to? Timothy, who was a product of one such lady, Eunice. Eunice was, was, uh, was fully fulfilled in what she was able to do, not what she was not able to do. And here the Apostle Paul is writing to the ladies, giving them encouragement. In all of this, you'll be saved. That, that word saved there, you'll be delivered. You'll be, you'll be given health is what he's implying there. So you're going to have full health. And, and what it is, he's saying your doctrine is going to be adorned by the godly lives you're going to produce. And we we live in a time where, you know, we understand God's promises, but do we truly apply it? And He's saying there: have a focus, ladies. Don't just don't focus on when you, what what God's saying you can't do. Focus on what God's saying you are to do, and you can do. And God's promise to women is that they have a part to play, as wives and mothers in shaping those whom they birth for God's glory, if they stay within the bounds and blessings of God's instructions. And again, he says, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And so Paul's use of childbirth here was was an encouragement to the ladies in recognizing a part of what they alone are able to do. We understand that childbirth, the blessing of that, is given to ladies. And we understand that ultimately our, our fulfillment isn't in, in children. Our fulfillment is in Christ. But, but in the uh, normal circumstances of things, God, God uses children as a means of blessing. And He's encouraging them about the fact that, that, uh, that they're, they're doing these things that they alone are able to do. Really, it was a broader affirmation of their worth in all that they are able to do. And, and ladies, maybe perhaps after preaching this, some of the ladies will leave feeling like they can do either anything or nothing. It depends on how you look at God's promises for you. However, God leaves a passage with a great promise of the fulfillment you'll, you'll have as ladies in how God designed you and God, how God has instructed you. So in summary we see the priority of prayer, how men ought to lead in that way. We see then that that God instructs the ladies how they can show piety through their suitability, their sobriety, and their service. And ladies are then encouraged to be students of the Word and and complementary to their husbands and fathers as, as instructed by God. And He encourages them to be the ladies they have been designed and instructed to be, really as integral members of the body of all right, let's pray. Father, thank you, dear God, for, Lord, just your, uh, your word. Thank you, dear Lord, that uh, that you affirm uh, in us uh, who you've designed us to be. Uh, that, Father, if we follow what what is given, if we follow what is given, it leads to fulfillment and blessing in our lives. And, and Father, I pray that you'd you'd help each and every one of us by faith, Uh, understand, comprehend, certainly. But Lord, more than that, uh, apply those things and and take it wholeheartedly as we we journey uh, as a church and as your people in this time and age. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.